Welcome to the FromTheGlockin.com podcast. Uh, this is episode number five. This is going to be, I haven't really worked out the title still, but it's going to be the, uh, the Anarchy cast or something like that. I, don't, I really don't know yet. Uh, but we're here in uh, beautiful Gina Bean Studios with the one and only Gina Bean and the one and only Adam Strachna. Hello, this is Adam. Here he is. Uh, Adam is uh, going to talk to us. Uh, he's a... Would you can, would you describe yourself as an anarchist or... Um, I think that's fair enough. Anarchist leaning. Yeah. Uh, I write more about anarchism than I do practice it, but... Right. I definitely hold the core beliefs of the theory to be accurate, so... Well, that's perfect, because yeah. this is a podcast. We're not going to be uh, doing any anarchist acts during this podcast it doesn't really translate well cia do not interact no please don't uh yeah no i don't think i have enough listeners for that so yeah okay okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we're here with our beautiful lovely producer elizabeth johnson uh hello yeah you might be able to hear we'll find it it turns out it picks up a lot better than i think it does so they'll probably hear you uh i i try to be um cool so all right introductions out of the way gina's here Adam's here, I'm here, Elizabeth's here, we're all here. It's great. Um, cool, so, like we already said, today is about anarchy, and I'm just going to jump into the intro. My notes are not as developed as usual. I wrote literally, hold on, let me get you that word count. I know you love it. Uh, oh, 649 love words on this one. We all love the word count. Comparatively, they're usually around 15 to 1600 words, so, pretty short, but... That's because I have an actual expert here, uh, which is great. Well, not expert, expert, but, you know, expert. I, expert comparatively. Um, My credentials are that I wrote 97 pages about the topic so that's and got, like, good. an A- minus on the paper. It's pretty good. Yeah. And I've, I've written, like, you know, collectively maybe 30 pages on a topic, so I'm not dumb on the topic, but I'm not a genius. So it's but you right. are a homie. I am a homie. Not quite a genius yet, but maybe by the end of this... We'll all come out homies and geniuses. Homies and geniuses. <laughs> all right, so let's get into the intro. Um, okay, so like I said, today's episode is a little bit more politically leaning um, than my previous four, but only because we're quite literally literally talking about a political and social philosophy, um, anarchism. Um, so I'm going to come out right now and say that I don't have any political motivations or anything in the creation of this podcast or this episode in particular. Um, and I don't really have much philosophical expertise um, beyond just a few religious studies uh, classes that I've taken. So I'm not really an expert on the topic, but like I already said like five times, Adam is comparatively much more. So uh, so we're good. We're fine. We're covered. Uh, <clears throat> this episode is also going to be a little bit different because, like I said, I'm not really the informed party. Usually it's like, like I said, more words about me just talking listing off like the background of the topic giving the history on it and then discussing uh this one i'm kind of going to do more half and half um i'm kind of just going to lay out what wikipedia has for me and then let adam kind of take over uh, and let him talk on what he thinks he wants to talk about i mean yeah so i did a lot of preparation for this adam has been preparing for this for far longer than i have so you know it's it is what it is um let's see Cool. Well, that's basically it for the super background stuff. Uh, according to Wikipedia, and you, we'll talk about this in a second, Adam, 
Anarchism is an anti-authoritarian political and social philosophy that rejects hierarchies deemed unjust and advocates their replacement with self-managed, self-governed societies based on voluntary cooperative institutions. Uh, now, off-air, Adam and I discussed this particular definition, and uh, he said this might be suitable for some, but does not quite meet uh, most extreme points of view. So, if you want to elaborate on that a little bit. Um, in a bit. Yeah, I okay. forgot to bring up my notes. Okay, cool. Well, we'll get there in a little bit. Yep. Uh, that's okay. But a lot of people kind of find this idea of self-governed institutions to essentially be a, a paradox of sorts. Um, the idea of institutions in themselves uh, being antithetical to uh, anarchism. Um, mm-hmm. So you also have your own personal definition. Um, so once you get that up, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll list steam off. Where the fuck dogs? There it is. Sorry about that. No, you're all good. Take your Alrighty. time. Okay, so, yeah, so like Flynn alluded to, the problem with the definition that Wikipedia has is that it sort of assumes anarchism to be generally reaching towards the goal of establishing something, um, particularly anarchist political institutions as opposed to, you know, democratic political institutions or liberal political institutions. But while that's true for some anarchists, like syndicalists or such, like anarchists who might want to establish like specifically workers communes in the place of the modern state some anarchists are more concerned with not so much with finding a replacement for what exists now and establishing something new but more about just critiquing what exists now in the most Mm -hmm. radical possible way right and um without without necessarily having some set goal in mind of establishing a uh different political institution or mm-hmm. set of political institutions right. so it's not a replacement it's more of a critique right yeah. and like i said there are some and especially the uh, a lot of the older anarchists were definitely concerned with establishing something new right um right but certain I, other schools are not so much so here let mm-hmm. me let me okay so the definition that i use for anarchism is brought mm-hmm. to you by saul newman uh, a contemporary anarchist who i've read a lot from And he says, anarchism is a, quote, diverse and heterodox assemblage of ideas, moral sensibilities, practices, historical movements, and struggles animated by what I, Newman, call an anti-authoritarian impulse. Hmm. Um, And then Newman defines this anti-authoritarian impulse as a desire to critically interrogate, refuse, transform, and overthrow all relations of authority, particularly those centralized within the sovereign state. So it's less, it's not specifically always a political project. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's more of a critical project right. or it's, like a it's social a, a person it's a personal thing in ways right too. right yeah a lot of anarchists have differentiated anarchism from its mm-hmm. main sort of competitor for leftist thought marxism mm-hmm. by saying that more marxism is specifically interested in uh being a political philosophy mm-hmm. right and also sort of an economic well you can't really have marxism without institutions and right. creation of yeah but the, the, but the anarchists, a lot of anarchists see anarchism as political, obviously, but also mm-hmm. sort of something that you live out in everyday life, right. as well as in the political arena, whereas Marxism mm-hmm. is more particularly concerned with the political, except in certain 
offshoots of Marxism, which sort of intersect with anarchism, but that's... Yeah. And that's a whole different thing. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a different podcast, but that's okay. But, all right, awesome. Well, I'm going to save you for a little bit. We're going to get back into the history thing for a second, um, but that's great definition to work from. So I think that that really does kind of help us with the background as well. Um, this idea of, of anarchy not really being so much a... a, a, a a means to an end, like a goal necessarily, but like a, it's, it's, it just is the way that you view the way that things are. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of a lot of what started uh, this uh, here. <clears throat> so prior to the formation of human society, uh, there was obviously little in the way of any formalized political philosophy. Um, but pretty shortly thereafter, it seems like uh, humans everywhere began to think about their situation and talk about it. Um, and the idea of anarchy kind of just popped up pretty quickly. People were like, remember when there was nothing like telling us what to do and there was nothing going on? Like, that, remember that? Like, it just kind of seems like it, it popped up pretty early on. Um, pretty much anywhere that we had uh, politics of any kind, any kind of social constructs appearing. Um, but that's, yeah, uh, because of that, there's not really a clear origin exactly, and Wikipedia doesn't have a clear origin. There might be a clear origin, but Wikipedia is not helpful in that one. <laughs> um, so according to Wikipedia, the earliest examples we really have, uh, historically speaking, <clears throat> are from China and Greece. Um, so Taoist philosophers, Taoist, Taoist, whatever, uh, taught <clears throat> that peacefully uh, delegitimizing de the state um, was a, a course of action for uh, everyone, basically. I mean, um, the idea of not not necessarily following what the state told you to do and just kind of going back to nature, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, was powerful with, with them um, and resonated in a lot of their writings and a lot of their teachings. Um, <clears throat> and then with the Greeks, you have... Their, their first one is, the, what they first mentioned is Socrates uh, and his questioning of the authority of the state and uh, claiming the right of individual freedom of consciousness, um, which, you know, that, that, they, that goes back to the individual kind of individual anarchy rather than, you know, societal, society-wide kind of ideals. But, um, and then you have cynics and stoics. So you probably know more about cynics and stoics than I do because, you know philosophy major mm -hmm. um, so do you want to talk about them a little bit before um, i give you the wikipedia can, stuff or <clears throat> i would say that the stoics were certainly not anarchists in right. fact a lot of the stoics the most important stoic writers were emperors like mm -hmm. um marcus aurelius of rome mm -hmm. but the cynics i think are certainly a good example of um anarchists who didn't call themselves that there was no like there wasn't, yes, there wasn't a categorization mm -hmm. but the cynics were the most famous being diogenes there's a philosopher who basically lived the bear life b-a-r-e mm -hmm. not b-e-a-r right <laughs> right he lived a very public in a very na literally naked I mean, you can argue he lived a bear life as well honestly he yeah <laughs> he lived like an animal he, yeah. his nickname was the dog right yeah right um but he lived on the city streets of um athens mm -hmm. and his whole like shtick was that he agitated people and mm -hmm. kind of the same way that socrates did um but diogenes was definitely more explicitly like an individualist and where socrates had this whole 
thing where he was like, I critique, I critique Athens because I love it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Diogenes was more like, uh, fuck all authority, fuck all norms that say <laughs> I can't live and die naked on the streets. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live like this and I'm going to force you to look at me and right. realize that you can live like this if you want to also. And sort of just like this complete... Um, uh, disdain for norms, basically, mm-hmm. which characterizes a lot of anarchists of all sorts. They have a general attitude of, which is I think is a good thing, of um, having a very critical attitude towards norms, things that are accepted mm-hmm. as being just inherently good. Absolutely. Um, and that's, he definitely uh, embodied the anarchist spirit, even though he didn't call himself mm-hmm. an anarchist. Um, so yeah, I think that's a cynics is a good example of Cynical. very early anarchism, before it became its own sort of thing, with a name and a definition. And you hear a lot about Diogenes. I mean, even just in pop culture, he's pretty popular in memes and stuff. You mm-hmm. see like story, his stories and stuff. Yeah. So I've, I've, I'm definitely familiar with him, uh, and I, I assume many of my listeners are as well. I, I only have twenty or so of you, so. I could give one famous story. Go ahead. So one day he was laying on the beach, he being Diogenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diogenes was laying on a beach, right. And um, um, he was enjoying the sun, soaking up the sun, just probably nude, as he always was. Of course. Just kind of chilling. And, of course, being notorious and also famous, um, Diogenes lived around the same time as Alexander the Great, right. um, the Macedonian conqueror. Right. And, Mas- and uh, Alexander had heard of him. Mm-hmm. Like, he knew who Diogenes was. And in fact, there was a quote, which might be a real quote, might not be, yeah. that's like, Alexander said, if I could be anyone other than Alexander the Great, I would be, be Diogenes right. the Cynic. <clears throat> um, but So in the story... Um, Alexander the Great comes up and walks up to Diogenes laying on the beach, stands in fr- stands between Diogenes and the sun to cast it and cast a shadow on Diogenes and says, basically, you know, you're famous. I've heard of you. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing that Alexander the Great can get for you, what would it be? And Diogenes' response was, I would ask you to get out of the sun <laughs> because that's just what Diogenes was about. That's he didn't funny. care that, you know, the greatest conqueror of the time was standing right in front mm-hmm. of him asking him offering him anything he could want right he just wanted the simple things um simple pleasures and had no concern for the sort of norms societal norms that would have right. one respect and uh, a conqueror like um alexander the great mm-hmm. so yeah that's just a that just sort of displays that attitude perfectly mm-hmm. and that's that's one of my favorite stories that i've heard of him um uh, that's that's it's always kind of resonating with me just because i i don't know it's uh, I don't know. I, I just think it's an interesting thing. Uh, you always hear about people back then showing such reverence and respect for these leaders. And I'm coming from a historical point of view. I, I read so many like such flowery language and like stupid shit like that. And then he just does not care. Like it's amazing. It's so funny. Um, yeah. Like it, the humor is still resonates today because yep. it's just the same kind of attitudes that people have today. Um, and I think that that's. One of the things that really helps connect people with history, and I, I love that kind of those kinds of stories. Um, Diogenes is just full of this kind of. Look him up, definitely. Diogenes, yeah. look him up. Um, he was known for um, masturbating in public and uh, sleeping in a box on the sleeping street. Sleeping in a box, sleeping in a barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, 
drinking water from his cupped hands, mm-hmm. you know. Well, another good one is Diogenes on the streets. He usually had a had a reusable cup that he used to get water. And one day he saw a child walk up to a uh, fountain, and mm-hmm. instead of using a cup, the child used their hands to drink the water instead. And Diogenes was just kind of like, shit. This kid's beating me in my own game. Right. <laughs> like I gotta start. I gotta. I gotta do what this guy's doing and just you know ditch the cup and use the hands. <laughs> you know he was just yeah. That's just what he was about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about Diogenes. Um, <clears throat> okay. I honestly, that's that's kind of all I really had for the Greeks because you kind of shut me down on the Stoics. I'll I'll read the the Wikipedia. Yeah. What do you Stoics. have from the Stoics? I'm so this is the Wikipedia here. stuff that they said about Stoics. Um, Stoics believed in a stateless society um, that could be created purely from the friendly relationships among its citizens rather than law and order. Uh, This is a quote directly from Wikipedia. This is their their definition. According to his teachings, as social beings, the path to eudaimonia, yeah, there we go, happiness for humans is found in accepting the moment as it presents itself by not allowing oneself to be controlled by the desire for pleasure or fear of pain, by using one's mind to understand the world and to do one's part in nature's plan, and by working together and treating others fairly and justly. So that's the Wikipedia definition of Stoicism. Um, hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know what your definition of Stoicism is. So uh, I have read Marcus Aurelius, mm-hmm. um, and that definition of Stoicism seems accurate, but I don't know if it necessarily leads to the belief to that... anarchy and anarchy. Yeah, that we yeah. can establish a stateless society based purely on... Good social mm-hmm. relations rather than long mm-hmm. Um And like I said, whether or not they believe that mm-hmm. is kind of worthless, given that they were, like, all, I'm pretty sure all of the important Stoic thinkers were literally emperors. Yeah, like, see, that doesn't They help. were the most yeah. powerful people in society <clears throat> well, at the, the time. Um, yeah. But and I, but I think this, is, uh, this, this helps draw somewhat of a distinction for the history going forward. There's this sort of going to become a, a a separation between two branches of anarchism and that's going to be ones that we could say are about you know unveiling some greater good in humanity so that mm-hmm. we can establish a um, a better society based on the good relations between the inherently good people mm-hmm. which seems sort of more similar to what the stoics believe right versus the other branch which is more about ruthlessly critiquing all of the norms right. and 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 rules that we abide by and is less mm-hmm. concerned with establishing this perfect good order. Right, so one's about issues. shaking things up in such a way that things become better. And then the other one's more about, it's never going to get better. Let's just, you know, talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's, that's the, and that critique or that, that, um, that differentiation, that, that, that separation between the schools of anarchism is mm-hmm. going to be come to the forefront when we discuss like the, formation of anarchism as a theory all right well we can honestly get right into that if you want to because i'm out of notes um, all right i can kind of just read from wikipedia from here on out but you can you can right. start wherever you want so okay so anarchism really became like an established sort of school of thought in the 1800s more or less mm-hmm. there might have been a little bit in the 1700s um <clears throat> But around that time, it the, says the it, French Revolution on Wikipedia, right? So. It, 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 the mo- the modern era in Europe, right? Basically, is how it started. Um, mm-hmm. But many anarchists, especially contemporary ones, who have a more um, primitivist or anti civilization tint, will mm-hmm. bring anarchism back to the origin of humans. Right. Who and they'll say that basically the earliest hunter gatherer societies 
are the example of anarchists living. Right, to, the peak of human existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the only so because there was no society to bound them. The only thing mm-hmm. that bound them was like necessity. Right, and you could see that. Obviously, that infringes a little bit on freedom or whatever. Then, and, then you get in all of the the Hobbes and, and right, right. And, yeah, <laughs> but. That that's that is a place to st- especially like anthropologically minded mm-hmm. um, anarchists are going to look towards them and even some still existing um, tribal communities. I use th- the word tribal has some yeah, baggage, but on the Flamagopnak Com podcast, we we do know we uh, we acknowledge our privilege. We check our privilege every time every time we do an episode. Privilege has we been are, checked. I'm a white boy and I lived in Annapolis, Maryland, my entire life. I don't I don't know much beyond what Wikipedia teaches me. <laughs> So, but there you go. There, tri- tribal tribal has kind of negative baggage, and I don't like to use it. But it's really yeah, the yeah, only yeah. the only way to get across the point I'm trying to make. Right, is that there are certain quote unquote tribal communities that exist in the world, particularly in South America and uh, Africa, right. where there is uh, there still maintains that that semi anarchist like primitive way of life that certain anarchists think is the way that we should all be existing and there are there are problems with trying to model like your existence as a white american on the existence of some tribal community in south america and and those anarchists (laughs) have been critiqued for trying to do that right (laughs) so that but that is sort of like if you want to bring it way back that is where technically you could say anarchist history began was mm-hmm. with tribal living right? sure right now as a practice right like i said it began in the 1800s mm-hmm. with um william godwin but i actually personally don't know much about william godwin we can look um, up on wikipedia that's it um <laughs> do we have something on william godwin right there specifically name right there okay uh blah, blah, blah. It's about philosophical it's anarchism in, in england morally delegitimizing the state yeah. all right so there we go. There you go. Godwin was kind of the, I, as far as I know, he was the first to call himself an anarchist. Right, was he the first to coin the term? He was, he, yeah. yeah. He said he was an anarchist. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I don't think he was any sort of like revolutionary. He was more just a writer who critiqued the state. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, I'm going to begin by bringing it back to the differentiation that I mentioned before between the people who wanted to um, create a better society and the people who wanted to cre- critique existing society by right. sort of drawing out the differences between two of the earliest important anarchist thinkers, and that's going to be Max Stirner mm-hmm. and Mikhail Bakunin. Right. Now, Bakunin was a Russian. Um, he was a revolutionary. He was um, involved in um, the First International, which was just a... a Big old, big old thing. Big old, big old leftist, yeah. radical, political, yeah. international movement that Basically. Karl Marx was involved in. Right. But Kunin was involved in the. the if you're game. a leftist, your your ancestors were involved. Yeah. <laughs> like. Um, and even 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 the early meetings of the international had this one guy Pierre Joseph Proudhon, who was an anarchist, but is sort of. Not irrelevant, but I, I don't know enough about him to really discuss mm-hmm. him either. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was involved. He he developed mutualism, which is right. like pseudo-socialism. Hard to explain, <laughs> also. Mutualism's really, like, dense and annoying to yeah. read about and talk about. But it, So I'm going to ignore him, because I want to. <laughs> but fair. So Bakunin and Stirner. Also because Bakunin's just more relevant. He's way more influential mm-hmm. than, than, than um, Proudhon. Yeah. 
but um but Bakunin was a revolutionary involved in the international he had fights with Karl Marx quite a bit mm-hmm. uh they had lots of backs and forths right. um between where the international should go the the main difference being that well Karl Marx's main goal in agitating would be to organize um the proletariat uh, seizing of state power, he Karl Marx wanted the proletariat to violently seize the state from the bourgeois. Mm-hmm. Bakunin saw a problem in this, in that he Bakunin and the anarchists saw the state itself as bad. the problem. Right? Yes. Yeah. So that a prolet even even if the like proletariat you don't want the state because the state is rotten. And yes. Once you get there, it's just going to rot you. Yeah. Even so, so Marx thought that the the proletariat controlling the state could, you know, um, end up just as bad m- or worse. Right. Yeah. So Bakunin had no faith in the state, whereas Marx did. Basically, mm-hmm. Marx thought that the state could be wielded like a weapon. Right. Um, Bakunin thought that wielding the state like a weapon would simply recreate. The exactly. badness that already existed. Which honestly, I can't disagree with. Yeah, that's that's like that's like the first. Yeah, that's like the major separation between anarchism and Marxism. And right. there's like actual bad blood between Bakunin and Marx, and right. it's dramatic and kind of goofy. I mean, it says even on, on the Wikipedia, Bakunin's followers entered a bitter dispute with Marx, which ended in 1872 with the split of the workers' movement that officially took place in Hague. So there you go. There you go. Yeah, they, they, that beef went went deep. Mm-hmm. And so Bakunin's style of anarchism is really, it's a really poor, like, term, collectivist anarchism, you right. know, very vague, but, but more or less a, a social anarchism, mm-hmm. an anarchism which sought to um, create a social revolution where all currently existing um, relations of power between, you know, workers and bosses and between citizens and the state would be completely overturned. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in its place, we would establish a more, according to Bakunin, rational and moral society based on um, horizontal relations between people. So non-hierarchical relations between people. Right. Um, All friends. <clears throat> everyone knows each other on equal plane. Yes. Yeah. No one. No one has like de facto power. Or power. Weird, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's Bakunin's idea. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what he wants to establish, right? Right. Um, and it's very, also importantly, it shares the similarity with Marxism. It's, mm-hmm. it's what we would call workerist, okay. in that while Bakunin was not a Marxist, he still saw the proletariat as like particularly important mm-hmm. in the overthrow of the state, right? Because of the mm-hmm. relation that they held in, because of the the. The importance that they have in the, in the way that everything works. Yeah, right. because of the role they have in production. Right. That that has tremendous power. Right. And that they were the most important people to agitate. And you can't do anything without their support. Yes. The, the people are essential to any yes. kind of any uprising. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's Bakunin, collectivist, social anarchist. While we're here, I want to stop. You know, we got like seventeen-ish, like nah, eighteen, nineteen minutes. You got twenty minutes. There you go. You got twenty minutes. So, I don't know. I don't know how much you're... I don't know how in-depth you're getting. I was going to go Max Sterner. We yeah. could, I could just do Max Sterner and then stop there if you want. Because uh, I at least want to draw out the distinction. Do as much as you can, yeah. I mean, okay. I, yeah. Okay. So, around the same time... Well, no. Before, pre, pre-Bakunin, really, Max Sterner wrote um, one book, basically, which kind of changed everything. Mm. Um, 
he Max Stirner flew in the same circles as Karl Marx. Um, was a Hegelian like Karl Marx. Lived in Germany like Karl Marx. Mm-hmm. And in fact, shaped Karl Marx's philosophy very uh, importantly. But mm-hmm. so, well, Max Stirner was not himself an anarchist. Many Stirnerites are and anarchists. Being, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Stirner developed the what what can be called like whereas Bakunin developed social anarchism or like the, the roots of social anarchism, anarchism right. collectivist anarchism Max Stirner was the root of individualist anarchism and Max Stirner's philosophy is all concerned with the uniqueness of the individual okay. and how the liberal state treats all unique individuals as essentially the same right. do not recognize differences a do cookie not rec- cutter kind of the way that a lot of people see like school systems right and stuff like that yes yeah. and that's max Stirner's critique and this critique is carried out into and we can see this this is more reminiscent of like the diogenes style of anarchism mm-hmm. is that max Stirner sees all of the sort of social norms not just like things like the state or like boss and worker relations but, but like as marriage and like best friend and yes like all, everything yeah. every <laughs> single normalized relation that right. we have with others is stifling basically right. and max sterner wanted to radically critique every single relation that mm-hmm. we engage in basically and um he saw these things not as necessarily oppressive like you could have friends and that's fine you could marry and that's fine Mm -hmm. what was oppressive for sterner is the fact that these things were normalized to the point where people felt pressured to conform to them expected to do these things yes the pressure Yeah, yeah and it's so it's less about the actual relations and more about the way the the word that i think is good the way the way sterner phrases it he he says that we are spooked Mm. That all of these things are spooks. Like, all of these expectations that are, like, planted in our heads mm-hmm. that relate to how we are expected to act are spooks. Mm. They are not real, but we right. treat them like we're real, almost like we're scared of them like to the point that where are we coming conform up. to them. They're things that are, like, oh, I'm getting married. Like, oh, I'm going, like, I'm going to college. Oh, I'm doing, like, everything that happens to you is all, yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's made up, but you all, all of these expectations, whatever, mm-hmm. are fabricated. Right. And that, and this, this is, I mean, on a technical level, this is obviously true. Right. These but, societal yeah. norms aren't material reality, right? right. Um, but Max Stirner is saying not just that these things are immaterial, but that they truly don't matter. They don't matter, <laughs> and that they're actively bad, and right. that we would all be better off, right. basically living as if they were they had no power over us, mm-hmm. and that this is the project we should engage in is to radically free ourselves first and foremost mm-hmm. from these spooks, from these things that are haunting our brains and making us think that we need to act one way or another Hmm. um and then from there we can move towards maybe establishing sort of non-hierarchical relations right Hmm. but the first the 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 foremost project for sterner Hmm. is to free the individual from everything that would restrict them from Hmm. having full autonomous action full autonomy over themselves and this includes institutions like marriage and also the state and work right sure right right. these are included (laughs) he's not like saying 
we can just pretend these things don't exist and carry on and with our lives still, yeah, still and, existing yeah, under capitalism. Yeah, right. Cerner was definitely an anti-capitalist along with every other anarchist. Right. He just brought his critiques to a different realm as well, to like the the, 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 the personal social, side. The personal yeah. and the social, right? How we relate to others on a more personal And I think that's really interesting because you do find that a lot of people have these anxieties, these like these fears, like these deep fears, uh, just things that really when you get down to it, you can live without like it really doesn't matter you know like people are like i mean just there's a term for like freaking out when you're getting married cold feet like it happens to people like and like people like run away from their wedding and it's like you don't even need to get married <laughs> like yeah. there's, there's that, that didn't even need to happen yep uh, like the whole thing is all made up it's all just some weird thing yeah so i, I do think that that's actually really interesting um that, to critique it in such a way um yeah, that's, that's that's cool. Yeah, Max Stirner is a neat guy. I, I would I would definitely identify myself more with the Max Stirner side than with the Mikhail Bakunin. Mm-hmm. This isn't to say I don't think that we should agitate. We shouldn't agitate for mm-hmm. armed revolution, but rather that that if Just you saying agitate, we don't we don't the FilmMcLaughlin.com podcast officially does not condone armed revolution, not yet. Um, but. What I think Max Stirner would say, maybe, is that if there is an armed uprising and we overthrow the state and capital, but we maintain all of the social institutions that mm-hmm. existed under the previous state and capital... It would be just as oppressive. Yeah, maybe not just as, mm-hmm. but it will still be bad for us. Mm-hmm. Like, there's more to it than just overthrowing the state and relations of production. Mm-hmm. That it, it's an over... That we need to sort of critically interrogate every single relation that we engage in because chances are we probably consider like in a certain part of our brains there's probably a part of us that's like some stress related some yeah yeah some something is being worsened because of it because of it and 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 to a certain extent uh i lost my train of thought now oh well but basically yes that that if you don't critically interrogate all of the relations that you engage in, um, you're going to still be fucked up and right. sad mm-hmm. and alienated. Um, and that's, that's Sterner. Nice. Yep. All right. And there's, I mean, there's more to it than that, but we have a time limit here. Uh, yeah, we do, we, but you actually have about 10 to, 10 to 12 minutes if you want to like, so you, you wrote, like you said earlier at the very beginning of this, he wrote a big old long paper about anarchism. So if you want to like just kind of give like a like a ten minute blurb about your SMP, you can go ahead. Sure. So um, but my SMP, but my senior capstone project. Right. Yes. Yeah, so let's, let's yeah. identify. SMP yeah. is 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 meaningless to most people. <laughs> right. Um, my my bachelor's thesis, my senior year capstone project for mm-hmm. college, was expanding on. And attempting to synthesize um, the political philosophies of post-anarchism, which is a contemporary sort of anarchist offshoot theoretical movement. Um, and what post-anarchism is seeking to do is looking at the post-structuralists, which is... Don't worry about what that means. Doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. But we don't have time. <laughs> specifically, the, specifically the the philosophers Michel Foucault and Gilles Deleuze, uh, mm-hmm. French boys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about good taking French boys. Yep, good, very <laughs> handsome French men. Um, 
taking their thought, right, the way that they theorized about the world, and there are sort of two paths that the post-anarchists take, and either saying that these post-structuralists, when you extrapolate the political implications of their writing, are anarchists, like, even if they didn't call themselves that, <clears throat> this is what Todd May argues, mm-hmm. uh, one author in the post-anarchist canon, he says that if you extrapolate a political theory from the works of the post-structuralists, it very closely resembles anarchism, even if they didn't call themselves that, the post-structuralists were anarchists. Mm-hmm. The other route to take, which is the one that I took, mm-hmm. and the, 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 is the, the route of Saul Newman, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, which is not to try to argue that the post-structuralists were anarchists, but rather to take their political thoughts and sort of try to understand the implications of what the post-structuralists had to say on anarchist political theory. Mm-hmm. You can think of it as like an intervention. The post-structuralists thought intervening in post in, in anarchist political theory mm-hmm. and how that intersection works out. <coughs> and this is what I was expanding on. My, my S&P was largely an attempt to synthesize a lot of the works of Saul Newman. Uh, he has a couple long books and a bunch more smaller articles mm. that are discussing the similarities and between certain post-structuralists and certain anarchists and attempting to synthesize those books and articles into a more coherent political philosophy of post-anarchism. Mm. And this post-anarchism is much more, at least Saul Newman's post-anarchism, is much more concerned with like the Max Stirner style anarchism. Okay. Um, and in a few articles, he argues that, in fact, Max Stirner as a philosopher could be seen as a forerunner to the post-structuralists uh. in fact that the, a lot of the sort of breakthroughs that the post-structuralists had were um not like not necessarily inspired but similar yeah yeah, yeah. not definitely not inspired right. a lot of them didn't even know who max turner was True. he was relatively <laughs> unknown until pretty True. recently hmm. um other than the writings that Marx did on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where most people learn about him, actually. But um, um, but more so that Max Stirner just kind of happened to make a lot of the same breakthroughs as the post-structuralists mm-hmm. just, you know, 100 years earlier. Because sure. the post-structuralists were writing in the 1960s, mm-hmm. and my Max Stirner was writing in the 1840s. Right. Um, <clears throat> I was going to ask you to clarify. I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the post-structuralists, basically, what they attempt to do is, in the same way, so we can bring this back to Stirner, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way that Stirner wants to call into question every sort of, like, relation that we engage in in the social sphere, mm-hmm. what the post-structuralists want to do is take the findings of the structuralists, which is basically, to keep it short, the structuralists said that life and society are structured, right? right? Whether like right. so the perfect example is language structural linguists mm-hmm. will say that the structure of language sort of limits inherently our ability to think certain things is right? that is that classic quote where you always hear that there's like a hundred words in the eskimo language for snow or whatever like that's not even right. really true but like yeah it's yeah basically yeah the, the language quite literally, alters your perception yeah it yeah. structures your thought right you cannot help but think a certain way because of language. That language is inherently structuring to the way that you mm-hmm. think. And so structuralists are concerned with 
figuring out these structures of thought or structures of society that sort of shape the way that we think and act. And so, like, psychoanalysts are the same way. They look at the stru- what they thought to be the structure of the human mind mm-hmm. and the structure of the family and how those structures affect the way that we think and act. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the structuralists. The post-structuralists are basically calling all that into question and being like, yes, these structures exist, but they didn't always exist. Mm-hmm. Right? They occurred historically at a certain point. Right? And so what the post-structuralists are doing is basically saying, yeah, sure, these structures exist, but... Why should we assume, like the psychoanalysts do, that these structures must exist? Mm-hmm. That the way that I relate to my mother must be Oedipal. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> the Oedipal complex, or the Oedipus complex, if you think it exists, certainly it didn't always exist because family structures were not always like this. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's the main intervention that the post structuralists are making is they're calling into question all of these relations that the structuralists are identifying. Right, the structuralists are identifying these relations, the way that we relate to people within society, and the way that we relate to ourselves and our thought. Mm-hmm. That's what the structuralists are identifying, and the post-structuralists, similar to Max Stirner, are saying, no, we need to critically interrogate and question all of these structures of our lives that we, that the structuralists are saying are inherent to us. Right, they, are they really, do we really need all this? Right, right. Yeah. do we, is, is, are these family relations that the structuralists think uh, structure our entire being is, yeah. yeah and the post-structuralists basically say no no yeah. these occurred mm-hmm. within a specific historical context we can move beyond like them. the nuclear family's bullshit all yeah stuff is, it's because of the way you're raised it's yep. all because of the way you yeah right and and basically post-anarchism is saying yes good critically interrogate all of these things all of the ways that we exist that we assume to be natural mm-hmm. or just just the way it is you know mm-hmm. that Anarchism is not just about questioning the relation that the worker has to production. Certainly, mm-hmm. this is an important relation to interrogate. Right. And it's certainly a structure. It's a good jumping off change. point, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's important. Very important. Yeah. However, we need to, as anarchists, critically interrogate all of these, for lack of a better term, structures in our lives that sort of um, shape the way that we think and act. Awesome. Um, and yeah. that's and that's like the tie-in between post-structuralism and anarchism, and that's what Saul Newman wants to say, is that what the structure, what the post-structuralists and what Max Stirner are saying, are really important for anarchists, mm-hmm. because we need to we need to interrogate every part of our lives, or else our liberation will only be skin deep. Right, it'll be so partial. It'll only yeah. be right. Wow. Yep. Awesome. Well, that's that. Honestly, that brings us to write about the end of the, the whole thing <coughs> that was awesome that you you just went off bro that's exactly what i expected so god bless uh that was that was yeah um i don't really have much more to say i don't, I don't yeah. yeah i don't really have much more to say either. right okay yeah well, awesome um any particular uh authors writers anyone um, you want to shout out or okay anything? shout out Saul newman the, okay. the boy the, the genius and the homie the homie and the, the homie and the genius Saul newman um he's great check out um actually i mean all of his works are pretty like specifically philosophical and you might not get them if you don't study philosophy already so maybe not Saul newman maybe not. that's he's not super accessible <laughs> um better would be probably the more um <clears throat> bob black bob, bob black. black okay he does a lot of good work on um work actually he discusses um bob black identifies work not just like you know 
production, but like literal work that we engage mm-hmm. in as being oppressive. Mm-hmm. And Bob Black wants to sort of overcome the modern obsession with work and mm-hmm. you know the work ethic and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And you know, uh, he's in. I mean, I I could go into Bob Black in a whole right. other rant, but We're I'm not, not going to. That, yeah. But check out Bob Black. He is in the same vein of anarchism that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. and he's one of the found one of like the more important thinkers in the anarchism that i am interested in um check out um the abolition of work by bob black um i would also suggest uh was that the right to be lazy you were talking about? oh yeah the right to be lazy um i forget the name paul lafargue the right to be lazy is another anti-work book it was actually written much older than bob black this is written by karl marx's um son-in-law i think it was Mm son-in-law um or nephew one of the two true semi-distant relation to Karl Marx um, Very but he was a Marxist but an anti-work Marxist and sort of was the predecessor to the kind of philosophy that, that Bob Black engages in mm-hmm. right? and Bob Black, I don't know how uh, accessible Paul Lafargue is because I've never read anything by him, but Bob mm-hmm. Black is extremely accessible sure. He's really he writes really well um, but he keeps things clean and simple Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's very he's almost poetic at some points. He's really nice. He's a really good writer. Nice. Um, that's the main suggestion I would have for you is Bob Black. I want to put everyone on to Bob Black. Cool. Bob Black. All right. <coughs> well, definitely check out Bob Black and uh, check out uh, Adam, Adam Strack now on all social media. My yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah. Just uploaded an Instagram picture <laughs> just, with uh, Flynn in it, actually. He sure did. And I yep. might upload one with him in it. We'll, we'll find out soon. So. All right. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys for listening if you've been here for this long. Um, and I hope you guys have a, a great evening, morning, afternoon, all that. Um, yeah, we're, we're here in, in Gina Bean Studios, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Not quite in Murder Room Studios. We'll be there soon. Uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, stay 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 up to date. Elizabeth's asleep on the couch. Yeah, producer Elizabeth Way is falling produce. asleep. She's, pro- she's produced the hell out of this one, man. Yeah, I she's, mean, it's, she's just exhausted it's from something producing. Else. Yeah, I, it's a tough job. I mean, it's all good, though. Uh, yeah, good night. Uh, talk to you. Talk to you all later. Uh, peace out. Peace out. So basically, the way I usually do it is I just kind of like let it run for a couple minutes. It's like, not even a couple minutes, like a minute. I just don't, it's hard for me to like just jump in and be like, welcome to them. Like, I just can't do it. Yeah. Like, I gotta like hype myself up. So I did a couple sips of my beer. I ripped the vape a couple times, you know. Are you going to introduce me before <clears throat> you go into your preamble? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Can I hit the vape before you start so that mm-hmm. you Mm-hmm. Let's all take a hit of the vape before the show starts. Get everyone... Get ourselves in the right headspace. Get the go-go juice. <laughs> Remember honey boo-boo? Oh, yeah. Wasn't it, like, syrup or something? Ooh, I have pixie sticks and, like, mountain or something. So gross. <clears throat> See, but I think this is kind of funny because this is, like... I've never had a person that actually is somewhat to, to what I consider an expert on this podcast. 
comparatively. Uh, I, I just read this Wikipedia shit. I just read through it and then regurgitate what I read and uh, very straightforward about it. And that's okay because I'm not an academic. So. But uh, you you know stuff, so it's kind of mm-hmm. funny. I'm just gonna be coming here reading you this this basic intro, and then then we're gonna hit him with the hit him with that that hard shit, bro. It's Mountain Dew and Red Bull. It's disgusting. Why would you give that to a child? Both. <laughs> Why would you give that to a child? Why would you give that to an adult? Anybody. Yeah. Fatality. Yeah, for real. Okay. <clears throat> Rest in peace. Jesus. <clears throat> okay. Um. <clears throat> 